0: Hey there, great to be speaking to you if you're watching this online or in our Hove site, Shuram site, Oasis site, or at the Clarendon Centre. Let me start straight in with this. Who in your family, maybe your wide or extended family, do you not speak to or you don't see? That can be a common experience in many people's families. There has been a breakdown in relationships somewhere along the line, and uh, this part of the family doesn't speak to this part of the family. Maybe you don't have it, maybe, but you do have it in the work context. This person does not get on with this person and there's hostility there. When that happens, resentment and bitterness can grow over years and years and years. Maybe people are ostracized for a long time. That type of dynamic is actually, I think, a very common one and actually is exactly what we see in the story, the part of this buried series about the life of Joseph and where we've got up to. What we're about to read from the scripture is the story of where Joseph's brothers come to Egypt and there is a reunion. We have last encountered Joseph's brothers when they turned against him. When Joseph was 17 years old, his 10 older brothers hated him Joseph was the favorite, they turned on him, they threw him in a a pit, and then they decided to sell him to some foreign people. And the brothers returned to their father, Jacob, and told him that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. Now, this part of the story we reach today is 20 years later, and we've been following what's happened to Joseph in the intervening period, but now these two, part, the sons and Joseph are coming back together and they're not expecting it. They're not expecting to see one another, but suddenly they come face to face. It's like bumping into that relative, that uncle that you don't speak to, bumping into them in the doctor's waiting room. <laughs> Awkward. In fact, this is like bumping into the uncle that you don't speak to in a doctor's waiting room in Argentina. Like in a foreign land, it's so unlikely to happen and suddenly you're face to face. The, the, the brothers are not expecting to see Joseph here and then suddenly they're before him, although they don't realize it at first. It's against all odds. It's too much of a coincidence. In fact, it is. It is too much of a coincidence. What we're seeing in this part of Genesis is how God actually orchestrates world events to bring a family back together. And what we're going to see as we unpack this is how God helps these brothers to deal with the guilt that they have been carrying for two decades. We're also going to see how God helps Joseph, who has been burdened by the pain of the betrayal for that same time period. And what we're going to see is that God is a reconciler. God is a healer. And sometimes God brings us to face our past and even to face our guilt because he wants to deal with it and bring us through it and bring us to a place of restoration and healing. Maybe you've asked that question before. How do we move on from pain in our past? Or how do we get free from guilt that we might be carrying? Well, this passage from Scripture is going to be really helpful to us. So let's find out. Let's get into it now.
1: When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons,
2: Why do you look at one another?
0: And he said, Behold, I've heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down
2: and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die.
1: So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers. For he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came. For the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognised them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them.
2: Where do you come from?
1: he said. They said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognised his brothers, but they did not recognise him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them,
2: You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land.
1: They said to him, No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them,
2: No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see.
1: And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, their youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them,
2: It is as I said to you, you are spies, by this you shall be tested, by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother, while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you, or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies.
1: And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them,
2: Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die.
1: And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen, so now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them, Then he turned away from them and wept, and he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes, and Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, and to replace every man's money in his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, My money has been put back, here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us?
0: It is worth reminding that the chapters in the Bible, the numbers that go along with the text, were not there in the original. They have been put in to help us navigate the books of the Bible. But at the beginning of what we call chapter 42, there is a natural shift here, a natural break from what's gone before. If you've been with us in this Buried series, what you would have heard is us talking about Joseph, because the last few chapters have focused exclusively on Joseph and what happens to him. He gets thrown in prison and then more recently we've seen how he gets brought out of the prison and put in a position of prominence, a prime minister-like position in charge of everything in Egypt. But at the beginning of the passage that we've just heard, it's like the camera pans away from Joseph and goes back to Joseph's family who we've not heard about for a long time and it starts with Jacob Joseph's father and uh, Joseph's other brothers and what we see here is, is there's a that shift is a, is a storytelling technique it's adding suspense here because we as the reader of the story we know more than the characters themselves. We see what is about to happen. It's like when you're watching a film and there's the main character and you know, you know, in a house there's a trap laid for them or someone is about to jump out and get them. And it adds to the suspense. You can see what's gonna happen. The character is innocently walking into the house and it's tense and you're like, don't go in there. It adds to the drama when you know more than the characters. That's what how Genesis is presented here. We hear about these brothers and they're facing famine. They don't have any food. Oh, we need to go to Egypt. Completely unaware that that is where Joseph is as prime minister and they're about to come to him face to face. We've got the tenseness of the storytelling here. And so that's what happens. These brothers journey, this about, probably about 200 mile journey towards Egypt. This famine had spread across this vast uh, part of the world affecting everyone. We're going to think about Jacob, we're going to think about his sons and we're going to think, think about Joseph Jacob, first of all, Jacob, at the beginning of the passage that we have just heard, he turns to his sons and speaks to them about going to Egypt. And it's interesting, a few of the things that he says. Firstly, it's clear that Jacob, even though he's in a desperate situation, he's saying, if we don't get food, we're going to die. But he doesn't trust his sons because he speaks to the 10 older sons, and he says, go to Egypt, but he says, M- Benjamin is not going to go with you because I don't want to lose him. Jacob, previously his favorite son was Joseph, and he thinks Joseph's dead. And now he shifted that favoritism towards Benjamin, who's younger than, uh, than Joseph. But even, you don't, don't get the impression that Benjamin's like a kid and he's holding him back. Oh, no, you go. Benjamin's too, like Benjamin would be like 30 years old at this point. It's pure favoritism and pure mistrust. I mean, get an indication that maybe Jacob didn't actually believe his 10 sons about what even happened to Joseph when they told him that Joseph was dead. He doesn't trust them. What a sad state of affairs. Jacob is a a broken man, plagued by disappointment, plagued by dysfunction in his family. And a lot of that he has brought upon himself. And if you've been with us through previous Genesis series that we've looked at these characters, you understand why. Now, it's important to say that Jacob, God has used him and he's a part of the central character in this Old Testament narrative, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But his life is a reminder and an example to us that even though we can be in the purposes of God, we're not shielded from the costly consequences of personal sin. Jacob has experienced that right the way through his life. Bad decisions that he's made, ways that he's failed to trust God. And he's reaped the costly effects of that right the way through. We go back to him stealing the birthright from his brother Esau. Rather than trust God that God would orchestrate situations for him, he grabs it. That's what his name means, a supplanter, a grabber. And he has to run away from Esau. He, he's fierce for his life. And then even with his own family, he marries two wives and then also has children with their servants as well. And there's no peace for Jacob there either. He just makes poor decisions in that context and there are strife in his home. And then his sons, <laughs> the dysfunction in his life has been reflected into and passed through the generation into his son's lives as well. And they turn against one another. We've seen that with how all the older sons have treated Joseph. The man has no peace. Family dysfunction is passed on from one generation to another. What about these brothers then? They do decide on Jacob's instruction to go to Egypt. And we have this situation where they appear before Joseph, but they don't realize, they don't recognize that it is Joseph. It's been 20 years since they last saw him. They never expected to meet him in the palace, as it were. And Joseph challenges them. And he accuses them of being spies. And it's really interesting how these brothers respond. They are immediately distressed at the situation. But crucially, they interpret what's happening to them as retribution for what they did to Joseph two decades before, even though they don't realize it's Joseph speaking to them. And you think, why are they jumping to that conclusion? That's a strange thing for them to do. I think what we see here is the power of a guilty conscience. Let's look at the text in detail here. Verse 21, then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. Talking about Joseph. This is why this distress has come upon us. Wow. That description there, that detail, so vivid. That's actually much more detailed than even the events of Joseph's You know, them setting upon Joseph and betraying him, chucking him in a pit. We didn't get that detail in chapter 37 that we read a few weeks ago. But what the passage here is underlining to us, this memory of what they did to Joseph as they threw him in the pit and the anguish that was on Joseph's face and they see the whites of his eyes it's stayed with them. It's something they can't unsee. And it's a burden to them. And this is a reminder of the, the power of sin. We all do things that are wrong in our lives. But there are sometimes, particularly when there are things that we do that we know are particularly bad and really wrong. It's not just what happens in the moment of doing it or happening or whatever, it's afterwards. We are moral beings. And one of the consequences of sin is the fact that it stays with us. And we can carry that guilt like a burden. And even as these brothers are, carry the mental pictures of what's happened and what we saw, and the deep emotional impact that it has on us. And we carry the weight of that through our lives. That's what the brothers have experienced, obviously. I'm imagining that they've spent many a sleepless night churning over what they did to their younger brother, Joseph. It's eating them up. It's eating them up, the guilt has stayed with them. There's a very vivid picture of the power of guilt given by a short story by Edgar Allan Poe. You might be familiar with it. It was written back in the 19th century. It's a sort of classic of gothic literature. It's called the telltale heart. It's a very simple story, very short story actually. And uh, for reasons that are not explained, a man murders someone in his home and at first he justifies it and he's quite calm about what he has done and he takes the body of the man and he hides it under the floorboards in his home and he's so calm and cool and collected about it that even when the policemen turn up at his door and asked to question him, he invites them in and he shows them, feel free, search round the house. And he even takes them to the room that he's committed this murder, where the body is lying under the floorboards where he has hidden it. And he's speaking to the policemen, he's answering their questions, he's chatting to them. But he starts to hear a noise, first softly, Dudum, dudum. And at first he tried to brush it aside. He speaks a little louder to drown it out a little bit and he moves his chair and scrapes and to make the sound and just to try to ignore this dudum, dudum. But the sound gets louder and louder and soon his coolness in front of the policeman starts to ir- melt away. And it gets louder. Dudum, dudum. Dudum, and he realizes the sound of the beating heart of the man that he's murdered, and it's crying out from under the floorboards, and it gets louder in his mind. Dudum, dudum, and it gets so loud that he's convinced that the policeman must hear it as well. And finally, he overwhelms him and he falls on the floor and confesses to what he has done. The beating of the heart won't stop. Why does it cry out to him from beyond? Death, and he confesses. There's a vivid picture of guilt, of guilt that can eat us up inside and not let us go. Maybe that's something that we have experienced, that you have experienced in your life. There's something that you have done, and the guilt beats away inside you. And maybe even coming into church coming into this kind of context can make that beating go louder and louder. And maybe you try and suppress it by other things that you do or try and ignore it, but it doesn't go away. That's the power of guilt that can come upon us. And one of the symptoms of that we see here as well, that the brothers interpret the bad things that happen to them through the lens of this guilt and I've known people to say that as well they, they, something bad happens in their life and they think this is happening because of what I did I'm a bad person so actually this bad thing I deserve it the universe is punishing me God is punishing me for what I have done Verse 22, and Reuben answered them. He said, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. To connect these two things, the distress in the present to the sin of the past, is not logical. But actually, I think it's a common experience that many people have. Bad things happen. Oh, I deserve it because of what I did. But also, the other side of that that we see here as well is that when good things happen, for someone with a guilty conscience who's burdened by guilt, even good things can't be accepted because it's like, I don't deserve this good thing. And that's what happens to the brothers as well. As they turn to leave Egypt, they start down the road and they realize that the money for the the food that they've bought has been put back in their sacks. Verse 28 At this, their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? They can't receive the blessing. There's some, there's no, we can't be blessed here. This is not right. This is going to land us in trouble. It's the effect of a guilty conscience. What a way to live! There's no peace when we're burdened by guilt. It's the power of sin at work. That's where the, the brothers are. Jacob was broken. The brothers are burdened with guilt. And what about Joseph? Well, if you, I encourage you to do this. Read back through this passage and just pick out all the words that describe emotion. (laughs) And there's lots in there. The brothers, as I've said, there's lots of emotion that's around this theme of guilt. But for Joseph, there's also a huge amount of pain that comes to the surface. Joseph is clearly shocked. He's not expecting for his brothers to turn up on his doorstep. And it seems from this passage that he's a bit all over the place. He doesn't quite know how to react. On the one hand, the passage says that he speaks roughly to them. But then later, he's kind to them and he returns their money to them. He blesses them. He's unclear in what he wants them to do. At first, if you read the passage carefully, he tells them, right, you all need to stay and send one of you back to Canaan. And and then by the end of the passage, he says, "No, no, actually, one of you stay, Simeon stays, and the rest of them get sent back. He seems to change his mind. And then he puts them in prison. But then after three days, he takes them out of prison again and says, right, do this and you will live. It seems that he's conflicted. Understandable, perhaps. I want to just take your attention also to something that we heard last week. At the end of chapter 41, we had Joseph uh, talking about his family and and naming his sons. And it said this in verse 51. He names his son Manasseh and he says, For God has made me forget all my hardships and all my father's house. And again, you have something of the storytelling irony by having Joseph say that. And then the next story is his father's house come back to him. And I don't actually think that that Joseph is lying here and saying, you know, I've forgotten all about the bad things that happened to me. I think what we have here is someone who has layers of processing the betrayal and the pain of the past. There is a sense that he has moved forward from what has happened, and God has helped him to move forward. But he thinks he's completely over it. And then suddenly his brothers are standing before him, and in that moment, I'm not over it. I'm not over it, and he can't hold himself together. When we have to process pain, betrayal, What's going to happen is that's going to elicit a whole range of emotions. And we see many of those emotions and responses in Joseph, in this passage. We've got anger and accusation. We've got fear and hiding. We've got questioning. We've got mistrust. We've got sadness. We've got weeping. And this range of emotion is normal. In fact, in one sense, it's, it's, it's healthy. We must remember this. Christian, a Christian response to pain, to sin, to the past is not just, okay, I forgive you and everything is done. Actually, people are more complex than that. Forgiveness, of course, is an essential component and God helps us to forgive others but also I think the Bible helps us to understand that forgiveness is a process and sometimes there's layers of forgiveness and there's layers of processing what has happened and the implications of it whether we have sinned against others or they have sinned against us. I just want to underline that and just remind you that the pastoral care and support that we offer to people uh, in this church follows that sense of process and importance of that. If you come to our pastoral team about pain for the past, they're not just going to say, well, you just need to forgive them and send you on your way. No, actually, the way we've set up our pastoral support in this church is to get alongside people to help them to process before God and in light of the gospel what has happened and where God is in it, and what forgiveness looks like and walk people through that. You know, we have a Thrive story. That's a key place where people, as we, and I include myself, I've done it several times, to be in a context of processing our life. What has happened? What are the pain points? How is God moving us forward? How can we let go of the past, how does the love and forgiveness of God change our lives? Whether that's Thrive Story, whether that's speaking to a prayer team member today, whether that's our in-house pastoral support team, we also refer people to Christian counseling. We all need this. It's part of life to process forgiveness and sin and embrace the gospel. It's a process, it's a journey. Encourage your pastoral care, at weareimanual.com. Start our conversation today. I know this will be bringing up a lot for many of you. We'd love to get alongside you and help with that. We talked about Jacob. We talked about the sons. We've talked about Joseph. Let's talk about God. <laughs> because on the one hand, we've got the brothers are in distress. On the other hand, we got Joseph in pieces. What's going on here? Well, I just want to return to my first point. God has brought this about. God has brought this reunion about. D- do you see that? God is sovereignly orchestrating events, even a worldwide famine, in order to bring this family back together. It could have been the case that we would never hear about Joseph's brothers ever again. But God does not want to leave them in their guilt. And he brings them to Egypt to face it. And it's not easy. It is not easy for them to face the guilt of what they've done in the past. But God is carefully and compassionately bringing things to the surface because he wants to deal with it. He doesn't want to leave them in guilt. And he doesn't want to leave Joseph in pain either. With God, what's in darkness needs to come into the light. And it's not because God is mean and wants us to face the past just to toughen us up. No, no, it's because God is a God who deals with the darkness. God, in this case, brought... Jacob's sons to Egypt for their salvation, for the taking away of guilt. But first they had to face it. First he had to bring it to the surface for them. And as I was thinking about this, the, this, the brothers coming to Egypt, and through Egypt their salvation comes, it's obvious parallels with Jesus. There's a verse later on in the Old Testament, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. Speaking of Jesus, a couple of thousand years later from this story, Jesus born in this land, in the Holy Land, and yet faces death <laughs> and has to flee to Egypt. That's part of the nativity story. Begin through Egypt comes back through that in order to be the saviour. Through Egypt comes the Savior. And not only did Jesus come from the Holy Land to Egypt and through that to bring salvation, but he's come from heaven to earth to deal with guilt so that you and I are not left in guilt, so that you and I are not left in a place of pain of the past forever. This is a gospel story. God is a reconciling God and the Old Testament is full of it. The New Testament is full of it. And it's what God wants to do in us today. And maybe even as I've been speaking, the sense of guilt has been brought to the surface. The sense of pain of the past has been brought to the surface. Because God wants us to bring it to him and understand that he is a God who is a reconciler. And God who is a healer. And that is what his cross is all about. That God himself has come into this world. To die for the sins of the world. To die as one who is guilty. Jesus Christ did not have any guilt of his own. He had no sin. But he died a death of a sinner on a cross. As one who is guilty. To take guilt upon himself. That through faith. In him, we might be free from the power of guilt in our lives. You see, the cross is where God is saying, I know what you've done. I know the power of sin. I've come to grasp it. I've come to take it upon myself. And it's only at the cross of Jesus Christ do we see sin being dealt with but also the love of the father being shared through that so that we can receive forgiveness. The cross is about the end of guilt and the beginning of forgiveness. The end of betrayal and the pain of the past and the beginning of healing. Only the love of God is gonna free us from guilt. Only the love of the Father is going to free us from the pain of betrayal. And that is what God has come to do through the cross of Christ and his resurrection to give us new life in him. The brothers were scared to go to Egypt. They were scared to face it. But Jesus comes to us and say, I know it's big, I know it's scary, but look what I've done for you. God was very kind with Joseph as well. The fact is Joseph has been brought by God to a place of security in order to process what has happened to him in the past. He couldn't deal with this reunion, I think, at the age of 18, 20, 25. He was going through other stuff. Can you see God's careful, compassionate writing of the stories of lives in order to bring about healing, in order to bring about restoration? I'll say this as a final thing. You might think, did Joseph really really need this? You know, he had um, been raised up already. He'd been vindicated. He's in this position of success. And you know what? This chapter 42 is the fulfillment of the dreams that Joseph had. His brothers have come to bow down before him. This is dream fulfillment. And there are many people out there in the world that will say, how do you get over the pain of the past? Well, the best revenge is living well. Become successful. Achieve your goals. That'll get you through. That'll show other people who might have hurt you in the past. There's plenty of people out there who have success, who have succeeded in their goals, but they have no peace. They have this the same Pain is within. The same guilt is within. It's only with God God we can have rest for our souls. It's only through Christ we can know peace in our hearts. It's only by the cross can these things be dealt with. And it's only the love of God that soothes the inner pain of rejection. Only God's love can bring healing and the peace that our heart needs. And it's wonderful that he has come, gone to the cross and risen again and now invites us to come to him and know his compassionate love for us afresh today. Let's come to him today. Let's draw close to him today and know his healing and reconciling love in our lives. Amen.